Well, good morning once again. Uh, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be up here uh, preaching God's Word to you. So let me begin by inviting you. If you've got a Bible with you, let me invite you to Psalm 27, as Christina just read. We're looking at verses 1 through 3 this morning. As you open or load your Bible, um, got a couple of quick announcements for you. Uh, the first one is, uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you're new and, and you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs before you, along with the Connect desk that's in the back. Pick one up. That's our gift to you. Or if you know someone that would benefit from having a Bible, hook them up with God's Word. In addition to that, there are these Connect cards where you fill them out and we get the joy of praying for you throughout the week. But in addition to that, we get to take you out to lunch or coffee or whatever it is that you prefer. And uh, we'd love the opportunity to do so. So fill one out and leave it in the Connect desk, which is located in the back. You might hear some of these announcements when the video comes up in a moment or at the end of our time, but I just want to give you a, a couple of quick updates concerning some announcements that you may hear today. The first one uh, regarding this is the men's gathering. So, so men, next week, right, on Saturday at 1030, we're having a men's gathering. It was scheduled at the Old Church Winery. We are now meeting here at the incubator. That's on June 12th, I believe, so it's in six days. Uh, make sure that your uh, calendar is freed up. Talk to whoever it is you need to talk to, your wife or your mom, right? Like, make sure that you talk and get that time scheduled. That's at 1030, and here's my request from you in that time. Bring your actual Bibles, okay? Don't, uh, not your phone. I mean, you could have it, obviously, but not on you, right? Bring your Bibles. Uh, and lastly, today marks our four-year anniversary here at Storehouse McAllen. Yeah. So <laughs> after, after service, we're having like elotes and topo chicos. And so we hope that you can stay and hang out with us. We're also going to install a couple of new members to our church family. And so really excited about that after service. Um, I think that's all I have for us. I'd love to just dig into our time. Um, you'll notice that today we're starting a new series. Uh, originally, we were going to be starting a series throughout all of the Psalms and uh, just kind of capturing several different Psalms as we did last summer. Uh, and then uh, me and one of our staff members, new staff members, his name is Alan. Alan's our, our summer intern. Let me just say that right now. Yeah, there you go, man. You said hi this time and you didn't hide. I love that. All right, sanctification. All right, and so <laughs> uh, we worked through uh, Psalm 27 and came to understand and realize, man, several of these topics and themes that we want to talk about throughout the summer are actually found in Psalm 27. So why don't we just exposit Psalm 27 over the next six weeks? And so that's what we're doing. Um, so we're, we're calling this Reset, and I'll tell you in a moment why we landed on this name. Um, as we get into that, let me just kind of tell you what's been on my mind. You know, over the last couple of weeks, as, as restrictions have gone down and more businesses continue to open up and, and we begin to return to some sort of normalcy and try new rhythms, I've taken notice of several things that seem to crowd our thinking or even crowd the way in which we live. And as I've met with several members here in our congregation and have recognized some of these things in myself and in my family, um, we felt, or I felt, that parking in the Psalms, particularly this one, after this week, uh, for the next couple of weeks, would offer some help, 
some encouragement. You see, last year brought a season of constant change and frustration and adaptation. And though this year has been different, it's as if we are adjusting to foreign rhythms that really and actually aren't new. In this new series, the, the, the psalmist invites us to look upon and consider the beauty of God's splendor while at the same time recognizing the condition of our heart. The goal in this series is that as we fix our eyes upon Christ through the Psalms, we would reset our heart, reset our mind, and align ourselves to God's will. Moving forward, for His glory, and ultimately our good. And with that being said, I know I kind of left you hanging for a bit when I mentioned that there were several things that I noticed that seemed to crowd our thinking and the way in which we live. The one that we're going to be talking about today is fear. So let me ask you, what is it that you fear? You see, over the last several weeks, it seems as though fears, concerns, and anxieties that weren't there last year now exist for many of you. Or if they already existed, now they're heightened. And if you're one of those who subscribes in saying that last year really didn't have an effect for you, you may be right. I don't necessarily want to challenge that, but I do still want to challenge you with that question. What is it? that you fear. Earlier this week, a friend of mine uh, tweaked his back after some intense workouts, and after a day or two, his back started uh, getting really heated and, and really uncomfortable, and eventually he had to go into urgent care. And now, in, in, in his scenario, there was reason to be concerned. As with many of you, you may be thinking, well, some of the fears that I have are very real. I am actually concerned about X, Y, and Z. As with him, he found concern because his back could have sustained a very serious injury. However, in the span of those days, all of the research was done online. Let's go to WebMD, and this is, these are my symptoms, and this is what is happening Inquiries were made where he's calling the chiropractor and urgent care and doctors and making all of these plans. And at the same time, fear carried him along the way. And there were moments as we spoke where where he became reflective and contemplative, but then fear would ramp up once again. And though he sustained an injury and everything that he did was something he needed to do. He needed to call the doctors. He needed to make plans. He needed to see what was going on with his back to see if he actually did sustain a serious injury. I see similar patterns in many of us where where things that either ought to bring concerns for ourselves or for others are valid. However, I see many carried or paralyzed by fear. So what do you fear? And what do you do about it? You're going to experience fear. It's not a question of if, but when. So what do you do about fear? Here's my estimation. Fear isn't the absence of courage. 
Because for many, when they're in moments of fear, they're making big decisions. They're making serious decisions, important decisions. Sometimes those decisions are very extreme. Or as many, they will face their fears head on. So it's not necessarily the absence of courage. So let me speak to our heart this morning. And let me say that fear isn't the absence of courage. Rather, fear is the absence of assurance. Tell me what you do with your fear, and I'll tell you if you seek assurance. In Psalm 27, we see that King David is in fear, and in that fear, he finds assurance in the character and work of God. So let me pray, and then we'll dig in to these three verses. God, we begin our time by thanking you for the Lord Jesus and his work done for us, redeeming us and reconciling us to you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship you, to gather because we are in need of you, your word and the saints. Holy Spirit, help us come before Scripture, not only for information, but because we thirst for God's Word this morning. May those who know Christ come to know Him more today, to think deeply on the things of God, and be sanctified into His image. And those who do not know Christ, may they come to know Him this morning. We pray that you, Lord, would be exalted and glorified and conformed, that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Beginning with Psalm 27, it has a little bit of mystery to it. Many scholars and theologians debate on when King David wrote this psalm, whether it was at the time of his anointing, preparation for war, recovery for war, or as he's being hunted for his enemies, there is a list of suggestions, but nothing concrete, which allows Psalm 27 to be a little more personal for us this morning. In this psalm, David is laying it all out on the table, and the opening of this psalm deals with fear and anxiety. And what I'd like to do as we work through these three verses is work through three sections. And those sections are going to be the reality of fear, the root of fear, and finally, the response to fear. And one thing that you'll notice as we walk through each one of these sections, they're going to overlap on one another, building upon one another. And so if it sounds slightly repetitive, it's because it is. And so let's look at verse 1. And we're going to talk further about verse 1 in just a moment, but we're looking at it broadly right now. David opens up by turning toward the Lord and turning toward Him in fear. He goes on to say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And then again, the Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Here's one thing that I want you to gather in this first verse, in the opening of this psalm. David opens it up 
by preaching to himself. David opens up this psalm by preaching to himself on who God is and where David is at. We know he's experiencing fear, especially as we begin to unpack this psalm in the coming weeks. We know that David is facing fear. We don't know what. We don't know what's going on or what's around him. We just know that he's experiencing and facing fear. And the first thing he does is that he preaches to himself who God is. When you jump down to verse 2, he writes, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. This is poetic language where he's not just experiencing a hard time, but, but those who oppose him seeing as, see him as nothing more than a meal. That these enemies, that these foes, that those who oppose him are so intense that they are like animals. And you can consider maybe some of the hardship that you've experienced. People who may oppose you, particularly because you follow and love Jesus, that their uh, dislike or their disdain of the gospel is so intense toward you. In verse 3, David writes, Though an army encamp against me... Again, we're not sure what's going on in this part of David's life. Is there really an army? Is it certain people? Is a battle raging? I'm not sure. But David is not unaware of what may happen. And that's exactly the point. See, in the opening of this psalm, we see the reality of fear. The Bible doesn't shy away from fear like some preachers do when, when they go on to preach that the reason you have fear is because you don't have enough faith. Or when you experience fear, just speak it away. And the reason it's not going away is because you're not speaking it loud enough, whatever that means. Some will say that fear is sinful. But when we look at the New Testament, we see that the Apostle Paul experiences fear and anxiety. In 2 Corinthians, he says, I carry the anxieties of the church. It means that he cares deeply about the people of God and the churches that he has planted and the churches that he is ministering to. Sometimes a little fear and anxiety is, is a good thing, and that sounds weird, but it's a good thing because it shows, hey, you actually care about things. Sometimes I get asked, are you nervous or are you scared before you go up and preach all of the time? It's just that once I take that step on that staircase, there's no going back, right? But on top of that, I am freaking out every time I'm about to preach because I want to do a good job. This is God's word and I take it seriously. Paul takes planting churches and ministering to friends seriously. Some of you, when it comes to fear and anxiety, it's because you care deeply about uh, certain issues or you care deeply about people. And so when some say that it is sinful, clearly they have not read the New Testament. Clearly they have not looked at Psalm 27. And so here we see the reality of fear. See, the Bible presents us with realism of fear that the people of God face and them responding to fear in opposite of what the world suggests. 
And so this week I was, I was reading articles on, on fear from a variety of sources, such as Forbes and the University of Edinburgh and, and, and various other specialists, and I compiled four ways in which the world teaches us to engage, handle, or view fear. And to be fair, some of these can be helpful. You may have even done these yourselves. You may even do these yourself. But I want us to compare them in light of Psalm 27. And so here's the first one. Interrupting fear with tasks versus interrupting fear with worst-case scenarios. One article writes that we need to interrupt our fear with tasks, such as washing the dishes, cooking meals, and investing in our interests and in our hobbies. And that could help. Sometimes you need to, for instance, get a workout in to clear your mind. Maybe you need to get away from a certain scenario to clear your mind and be able to approach it sober-mindedly. But the article seems to suggest that as fear comes up, just crowd yourself with things to do. And eventually your fear will go away. That's how you interrupt it. And so I would rather have seen them write the word ignore, not interrupt. That's neither here nor there. I understand what they mean. However, David handles it differently. See, in the opening verses of Psalm 27, David actually goes to the extreme by thinking about the worst-case scenario. That's, that's what everybody always tells you not to do, right? You're thinking too extreme. Oh, that hasn't happened yet, and that may not even happen. David, on the other hand, goes to the extreme by thinking about the worst-case scenario. He doesn't talk himself off of the cliff. He actually gets closer to the edge on purpose. Like, that's his strategy. As fear comes up, David actually goes to the edge of the cliff. And you might wonder, why does he do this? That already makes me cringe, and I'm already experiencing anxiety. Why would David increases fear. But here's the thing, that's part of his strategy. The reason he does that is to see how his fears measure up to the presence of God. Look at verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. His strategy, when fear comes, he's going to go to the edge of the cliff and measure that fear in comparison to being in the presence of God. He's not, that's not interrupting anything. That's like injecting anxiety. Another article writes, promoting positivity. When promoting positivity, what they uh, mean or what they go on to say in this article is that, man, when you experience fear, what you want to do is encounter nature. You want to find yourself in a place of humor, surrounded by the presence of friends and family. Again, that's helpful. I need a little break, okay? But once more, let's look at David's response, where one article says, man, what you need to do in fear is promote positivity. And what David does in Psalm 27 is that he promotes God's character. That's completely different. David goes on to say that God is his light, his salvation, his stronghold. 
See, in fear, David's first appeal, the first thing he does, it's not that he ignores his fear, it's that in his fear, he turns toward the character of God and who God is. He names him three things, his light, his salvation, his stronghold. We're going to talk about that momentarily. Moving forward, another article talks about self-reliant opportunity, and here David talks about self-denying worship. This article goes on to say that we must face our fears, because if we don't face our fears, we may be running from opportunities that we are creating for ourselves. And while that may be true, our response to fear becomes about us, and our response to fear becomes about self-reliance. David, on the other hand, faces his fear by self-denying himself. In verse 3, he goes on to say, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. That David's desire isn't actually war. This is a dude who's all about war. Every time someone brings up David, it's Psalm 22 and Psalm 18, and how the Lord prepares his hands for war. All of these manly, intense things where he like beats his enemies as fine as the dust of the earth, and he pursues them until no one was breathing. Like That's really intense. And here we see in Psalm 27, David saying, I actually don't want that. In verse 1, he repeats the question twice, which means he's emphasizing it, that you might say he's almost exaggerating it, where he says, of whom shall I be afraid? That, that comes from a heart of worship after turning toward God. That in this, this moment of fear, he denies himself, turns toward the character of God, pursues worship, And finally, the last article that I read goes on to say that we must focus on others for motivation. And so the article writes that in order for us to face our fears, we must find motivation by focusing on others and their success, their mindset, and experience. That when we begin to focus on others for motivation, it is almost as if we channel their experience in and through us. But David, instead of doing that, focuses on what God has done. Look at verse 2. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. How does David know that? How could David write, man, it is my enemies who stumble and fall? The reason he knows that, the reason he finds assurance in that is because David is looking back at what God has done for him throughout his life. That's how David finds assurance in fear. He is turning to and appealing to the character of God. He actually goes to the worst case scenario and compares it to the presence of God. He denies himself in worship before God, and he focuses on what God has done for him in the past. If you've ever read the, the book of Hebrews, the, the writer is doing something similar. He, he encourages the church 
in order to move forward in Christ, look back at what He has done for you so that you can keep going. And that's what David does. That's why he's able to make a statement like, it is they who stumble and fall. He's looking back at what God has done for him and through him. That's why David finds assurance. That's why he's so confident. See, the reality of fear that the Bible presents teaches us to engage our fear aggressively as we size it up against the presence of God. And so let's move on to the root of fear. See, though we don't know what's happening around David, we at the very least see his heart. Once more, he's not unaware, he's not immune to fear. And what is most encouraging about these three verses is that at the heart of David's fear lies his relationship with God. It's not advice from others or a heart idol that we are unpacking because it actually exists underneath all of the fear or this idol is in equality to God or is replacing God. But at the heart, when we begin to unpack David's fear and get get to the core of what's going on, we find God himself at the heart of David's fear. When it comes to the root of our fear, I know that we're not all like David in this moment. On occasions, though, we may have experienced the grace of seeing God at the center of our heart in fear. And I want you to know if you've experienced that, that's a big deal. That's a huge victory. And, if we're honest, that's, that's not always the case. So let's talk about the root of fear. The nitty-gritty What do you fear, honestly? We're going to pull a Mr. Rogers. We're going to go 10 seconds. You're going to think about, we've been doing this three weeks straight, the whole Mr. Rogers jazz. What is it that you fear? Is it rejection? Control? Is it anger? Failure? If fear is the absence of assurance, then something must be taking root in us that makes us scramble. You see, the root of our fear reveals our heart and whatever is exposed in that moment. If it is not Christ and His character and His Word and His work, if it is not that, that then is your idol. That's your idol. So let's explore some of the common idols that are, that are hidden under fear that I've, that I've seen in us over the last few weeks. Now, let me tell you this right now. None of this is going to be on the screen. And I did it like that on purpose so that you can listen. And I'll go slower. I'm not even going to sip coffee. I'm going to go slower. Everybody's like, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> right? So we're going to explore heart idols. And this, this, uh, this comes from my friend, uh, Bob Thune. And so here's how we're going to walk through these idols, okay? And if you're taking notes, don't. Yeah. And I can see 
Okay, here we go. We're going to address a heart idol, the price we are willing to pay to worship that idol, your worst nightmare, how people feel when you worship that idol, and how you may often feel. I'll walk you through all of that as we move forward. Here we go. Is your idol comfort? When it comes to comfort, it could be privacy, a lack of stress, freedom. Is your idol comfort? If it is, perhaps the price that you are willing to pay is reduced activity, a.k.a. nothing, laziness. What freaks you out? Stress, demands, responsibility. How do others feel when you worship comfort? Hurt. How do you often feel when you worship comfort? Bored. He's not doing anything. Is your idol comfort? Some of you may say no. Okay. Is your idol approval? Affirmation, love, affection, relationships. What are you willing to pay to worship approval? Less independence. What's your biggest fear? Rejection. How do people feel when you are worshiping approval? Oftentimes they feel smothered. How do you feel? Sometimes you feel like a coward. Is your idol approval? What about control? I'll be the first. This is, this is my jam, not in a good way. Do you, is your idol control, self-discipline, certainty, standards, What's the price that you're willing to pay for control? Loneliness. What's your biggest nightmare? Uncertainty. How do others feel when you worship control? Condemned. What do you often feel when you worship control? Worry. Anxiety, the loss of control. I've told you about my fear of flying. And I hate flying because it is the environment where I'm not in control. I don't care how gifted the pilot is. I am not in control. And no matter how strong or smart or strategic I am, none of that matters, and I hate that. 
Is your idol control? Is your idol power? You desire success, winning, influence. What's the price that you're willing to pay? Burden and responsibility. You take it all on. Bring it more, more, more. Add to the plate. What's your biggest fear? Humiliation. How do people feel when you are worshiping power? They feel used. Because you're using them to get to whatever it is you want to do. How do you often feel as you are operating in a, in a posture of power? Angry. If they would just do it this way, if they would just handle it this way, if they would just listen. Yeah, that's anger. David knows that idols are dangerous. And so how do we get to the root of our fear? Again, the first thing David does, even though we don't know what's happening, is that he addresses the realism of fear. And in doing so, he turns to the character and work of God. And that exposes his heart. See, when we do that, it's going to expose our heart. It's going to expose what's actually underneath the fear. David doesn't lack courage. Yet in his fear, he is seeking assurance. Look at verses 7 and 8. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. He finds assurance in God's character and in God's work. That is what is uncovered underneath the fear for David, what is uncovered when we remove the fear and get to the root of it for you? Is it the character of God or is it an idol? And why do you and I scramble when fear rises? I want you to listen to Tim Keller. Here's what he writes. Fear and anxiety is always the result of the implosion or the collapse of a false god. That's why we scramble. That's why we scramble when fear rises. You might say, well, it's finances, it's my career, it's X, Y, and Z. What has imploded? Control probably imploded. When you have to answer to the responsibilities that you have that you don't want to just because you don't want to, comfort has just imploded. And so you're scrambling. See, at the heart of David's fear, we find assurance of God's character and work. That's why David responds the way he does. So let's look at the final section, the response to fear. When it comes to responding to fear, we have two options for when it rises. And I want you to see that David is aware of this. In, in verse 3, he uses the word though twice. Though an army encamp against me. Though war arise against me. 
as this is happening, whatever it's going on, whatever the worst scenario is, David responds by turning toward God. So in your greatest fear right now, in your greatest fear over the last season, you have two options, church. We can either turn toward God or we can turn from God. When it involves turning toward God, as we have seen in Psalm 27, the first thing that we see is David worship God. Remember, he calls out three names for God, that the Lord is my light. This is the only time in the Old Testament where a writer specifically says that God is light. He's not talking about God's light. He's talking that God is light. The Apostle John echoes something similar in 1 John 1.5. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The first thing that David does is he preaches to himself. And he preaches to himself the character of God. His nature. That God is light. He adds that the Lord is my salvation. David is talking specifically about his salvation. The the word for salvation here means deliverance. That he has delivered him out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his light. He is reflecting on what God has done for him and the fact that he belongs to God. And finally, he says that God is his stronghold. That this is where he takes refuge. This is the first place that he goes to. God is the first person he turns to. God is the one he pursues. The minute fear rises, all he's doing in this opening verse is preaching to himself. He is not subscribing to 10 things to do about your fear. The first thing he does is that he subscribes to preaching God's word and character to himself. He's not dismissing fear as much as you shouldn't dismiss your fear. I'm not saying it's not important, but I am asking, what is it that you preach? What is it that you're preaching? Additionally, we see here that turning toward God involves surrender. It involves confession and repentance that as we turn toward the character of God in fear, as we turn to the Lord's work for us in Christ, our hearts are revealed. And if at the center of our heart it isn't Christ, that then is your idol. And so in that moment, You, saint, Christian, you have the opportunity to cry out to God in repentance, in confession. The access you have to the Father was made possible through Christ who died on a cross in our place for our sin, reconciling you to the Father. Therefore, you can cry out and He will hear you. But it does involve confession of our idols turning away from my idols, laying them before the table. Turning toward God involves worship and surrender. 
worship and surrender. Tim Keller goes on to say, Anything but God and His will is vulnerable. Nothing or no one can take God away from you. Anything else you set your heart on, such as idols, can be taken away. When there's a threat to it, you fall to pieces. When there is a threat to our idols, that's why we scramble. When there is a threat to our idols, that's why we fall to pieces. That's why we can't think straight. And it could be even in moments of hardship, like what David is experiencing. It could even be in moments that are meant to be good. And those idols reveal themselves. Earlier this week, uh, my wife and I got a new vehicle. Now, with that vehicle, we were supposed to do paperwork on it and, and work through things next week. And so in my mind, I, I'm the planner, I'm the scheduler. Sometimes I'm a slave to my calendar, and that's not good. But in doing so, I'm like moving things around next week so that I can make myself available to the bank and make myself available to the dealership and so on. Anyway, the vehicle was ready to go almost seven days ahead of schedule. And in that moment, over the course of last week, I'm scrambling through a bunch of things, putting a lot more pressure on myself, making sure things are getting done. Now, here's the thing. That's a good thing, right? Like when you get a new vehicle, it's a good thing. You used to have that new car smell. Yeah, man, whatever. Like you get that. But here's the thing. I'm bulldozing over my family. I'm like moving things and making it like the most important thing because all of a sudden, I'm not in control anymore. I'm scrambling. And even something that was supposed to be good is now clouded. And now I'm in sin because I'm acting out of control. To where when I finally parked the vehicle in our driveway, there was really no joy in it. It doesn't always have to be in moments of hardship. It's, they come out in hardship for sure. But even in these good moments. So the first option is that we turn toward God in worship and in surrender. Because the other option is that you turn from God. And see, when we turn from God, what we are doing is that we are walking in arrogance and self-reliance. That you go towards escapes. Or escapism. That's exactly what the articles were talking about. Hey, when you experience fear, just go wash the dishes. Hey, when you experience fear, go make a meal. Go work out. Go do all of these other things instead of, as David does, go to the edge of the cliff. And again, sometimes you need a good workout or you need to do something to kind of clear your head to get a little bit more sober-minded. Fine, I get that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about these things as escapes, where you avoid responsibility. You are avoiding fear. You are avoiding preaching the gospel to yourself. And in, in, in that instance, what you do is you preach something. You preach that submission to God is, is optional. You don't have to do it. Or it's convenient. I should say it that way. You do it when it's most convenient to you. Or you, you blame shift Right? Turning from God means that you if he hadn't said this, well, I wouldn't have responded this way. If they would only listen to this, then this would be cool. So you blame shift. Fine. You want to be like Adam and Eve. 
And all that does is breed further and further idolatry. Because when it breeds idolatry, we're really good at justifying it. Well, the reason, man, I really embrace control is because, you know, I just like things orderly and I'm organized and I'm a systems person and you start pulling all the crap about how you're wired. No one cares. In that moment, no one cares. Because in that moment, you're just breeding arrogance. You're, you're walking in light of your idol. It's just not Christ. Right? Church, I want you to notice that in Psalm 27, in these first three verses, I never said that fear would go away. I never said, here are the ten things you need to do in order to have victory over fear. No. The psalmist tells us that in fear, we must find assurance of God's character and His work. And that's the beauty of the Gospel. That Jesus took it all upon the cross. That rejection, that humiliation, anger, guilt, shame, He took it all upon the cross so that we might experience redemption and find assurance. Christian, because of Christ's work for you, and the Holy Spirit residing in you, you can find assurance in fear by turning to the character of God, looking back at what He has done for you. And as you move forward, you can do so confidently. Listen to David in verse 3. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Measure your fear up next to the presence of God. How does it stack up? David responds with assurance because he belongs to God and his kingdom. And church, so do you. So, Christian, what do you fear? People are coming in to set up. Don't worry about them. I already told you what they're doing. They're just setting up for the, for the four years. Don't worry about them. All right? Eyes over here. All right? What do you fear? What keeps you from turning to the Lord right now? What idols have you brought up next to the risen Christ? Or what idols have you replaced Him with? This morning, let's confess that. Let's put it on the table. And if you don't know Jesus, what do you fear? You may find courage. I'm not going to knock that. You may find courage, but not assurance. How do you know that you won't find assurance? Have you ever been wrong? Have you ever been mistaken? Have your friends ever been wrong? What about the articles that we talked about? Assurance doesn't come from me. Assurance comes from the Lord Jesus. And He offers it to you. In fact, He offers it to anyone who would repent repent and place their trust in Him. So church, in closing, fear is not the absence of courage. Rather, it is the absence of assurance. But because of Christ's work for us, 
we can find assurance in him when fear rises. Let's pray. God, in your presence, we confess our sinfulness. We confess our shortcomings, our desire for idols, and our offenses against you. You alone know how easily we are how easily we are prone to wandering from your ways and wasting your gifts and in forgetting that we belong to you because of Jesus. Lord, would you have mercy on us this morning? As we sit in your presence, we are ashamed and sorry for all that we have done to displease you. Forgive our sins and help us walk in your light and in your ways. Holy Spirit, rather than being paralyzed by fear, help and guide us to be empowered by the gift of our faith. To cry out to God, to find assurance in Christ, and to be counseled and comforted by you. God, we thank You for Psalm 27. And I pray that we would delight in Your Word this morning because we depend on You. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight this morning. Amen.